Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strank. On this podcast, we explore pathology, laboratory medicine, and forensic science. Biobanking is a rapidly expanding field and it has implications in medical research, drug development, and also personalized medicine. My guest today is Alexandra Giardina. Alexandra is currently in her second year in the pathologist assistant program at Tulane University, and she also has several years of experience in biobanking. Today, we're going to talk about how she got interested in this field and some of the ways that a pathologist assistant and biobanking overlaps. All right, here's Alexandra Giardina. Let's start back in uh, college for you. So you majored in, and you have a bachelor's degree in biological sciences, which yeah. actually I, I do too. And so I'm curious, like at, at that time, what were you hoping to do in that field? Sure. So um, to be honest, whenever I got to college, I, I don't really come from a family that had like a lot of college graduates. So I really wasn't familiar with it. I didn't even know like what a major was. So I was going by my high school experience, which was, you know, I really enjoyed anatomy lab. I had like a cat cadaver. I really enjoyed chemistry and physics. So it was like, mm -hmm. okay, science. And then my thoughts were to actually go to vet school. So I started off actually in animal sciences. And after a semester of that, I realized I was definitely not fit for getting into vet school. There were just so many people in Louisiana that had such an upper hand over me. And it's just so hard to get into vet school. And so I joined a medical association, which kind of introduced undergraduates to other fields. So we had people come, you know, talk about med school and dental school and physician assistant school and podiatry school and literally every school except for pathologist assistant school because no one ever knows that this field exists. Right. I really I had taken a love to um, physician assistant school. So that's actually where I started with, you know, trying to get out of college and go to physician assistant school. And then I took my GRE, I applied to physician assistant school, and I was waitlisted. And then over time, I actually discovered pathologist assistant school in the midst of discovering physician assistant school. Okay, that's interesting. That's that's kind of an unusual, unusual <laughs> path, I guess. Um, so, you, but you didn't go to you didn't you didn't go to PA school right away after college, did you? No, no. So right out of college, I. I took a job in the biobanking field. And so uh, there was a research technician position uh, that was posted for Tulane University. And I started as a biorepository technician. And that is really how I discovered pathologist assistant because I was having to consent patients and uh, get tissue and go to the pathology department to get like normal and tumor tissue. And that's where I discovered, you know, some of the PAs working in the gross room. And I was like, wow, this is, this is a really interesting field. Like I, I, I really enjoy this. How did I never know that this existed? And so that's kind of like where my, uh, my role in pathologist assistant came from. Okay. That's a, that's a good point too. I mean, that's a problem because people don't hear about our field you know, that needs to change. And that's the same with other lab careers as well. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people and, and a lot of them say, you know, I didn't hear about this field until I got into it or, you know, I accidentally happened upon it or someone happened to mention it to me. Yeah, it's crazy. And so um, it, it's really something that needs to change. I wish that we had more outreach programs in undergraduate and actually in high schools that we could, you know, go to high schools, go, go to some of these uh, medical association groups and kind of like, you know, put out for our profession, what we, what we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I was looking at your bio and you have some research experience that I, that sounds interesting. And I wanted to talk about some of that. 
So the, the first one was you were you worked in neurosignaling physiology. Yeah. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. So while I was at LSU, um, I, you know, kind of wanted to have like a little student marker position. So I took a job um, at Pennington Biomedical Research Center, which is a really great research center for studying obesity, uh, cardiovascular disease and metabolism. And so this neurosignaling laboratory was a huge was a huge success recently, but whenever whenever I was there, we were looking into um, branch chain amino acids and their effects on the brain related to dietary protein intake. So in particular, there's a branch chain amino acid called leucine. And so I would have um, right, uh, rats and mice, uh, they would be on certain dietary proteins, either a low protein or a normal protein diet. I'd stick them through the little NMR machine and look at their uh, body composition, their fat composition. And then we would do stereotactic brain cannulation surgery on them to make a little cannula site in their hypothalamus. And then we would give them these various amino acid injections through the hypothalamus to watch and see their changes in their dietary choices. Unfortunately, while I was there doing that research, um, it, it didn't really it didn't really give us a lot of answers about the branch chain amino acids. I mean, we learned that leucine was sufficient to suppress food intake, but it wasn't clear if it acted as a physiological signal of protein balance. But more recently, that lab has had great success in discovering um, a, a liver hormone, actually, fibroblast growth factor 21 is a big proponent in metabolism. And whenever there's not enough protein consumed, uh, this hormone acts as like a protein signal. It's one of the only hormones that can actually do this. So they're doing great. Um, it's been over 10 years since I've been in that lab. So I'm a little rusty on my benchtop research, but it was really nice, um, you know, being an undergraduate student and learning how to do, you know, PCR and gels and Western blotting. And I definitely discovered that I was not meant to be uh, a benchtop researcher at that point because <laughs> you have to be really smart to be a researcher. <laughs> and I said, you know, I think I'm more of like a clinical type person, but I definitely have a, a huge appreciation for research. And that's kind of like where my love for research came, although I'm not a researcher and I, you know, I am very, uh, I guess I, I am very involved in the research department, but not as a researcher. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So it sounds like you, you got some good experience out of that and, and learned a thing or two maybe about yourself and what you, <laughs> what you did and did not want to do. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And then you went on to do some, uh, some work in, in cancer research. Yeah. So my role in cancer research, the same thing. It's, you know, whenever I got into the biobank and I took that biobanking job and I was able to collect tissues for the biobank, we worked in a consortium. So a consortium uh, of four different institutions, LSU, Tulane, Xavier, and Oshner. And I was able to basically foster a lot of people's research studies through biobanking. I mean, normally people just think of a biobank of a, as a place that just stores tissues. They just give them out and they don't really like play a big role in research. But mm -hmm. I feel like our biorepository was really able to change that. So, you know, we had this bank and of course, when applications came in, we were able to, you know, facilitate and get those out. But I started kind of going around to the different labs in the building and figuring out what is your project and what do you need? Because that's a lot better way than people trying to come to us and us try to find something frozen in the bank that fits their study. 
And so what we tra- what we ended up doing was really tailoring our collections to fit people's specific research studies. So one of them um, in New Orleans is a really high percentage of patients with uh, or African-American patients with triple negative breast cancer. And so we started this collection where we would get fresh prenatal adjuvant patient tissues at biopsy and their blood. And then we would wait after they go through treatment and get the post-neoadjuvant sample as well. And both of those samples would be put into a mouse model for patient-derived xenografts. And this, we ended up having a great publication come out of this um, to study these effects in these triple negative breast cancer patients. And I ended up going to um, the NCI to, to kind of help other biobanks and other institutions figure out how they can do this. Because it seems like a lot of people were having trouble with getting these the pre-neoadjuvant samples. They're like, well, how, how do you get the pre-neoadjuvant sample? And it really is like a coordination effort. So that was really my role in cancer research. Again, like I'm not sitting at the bench top doing anything. But mm-hmm. um, another one, for instance, is, you know, we were doing like a pancreatic cancer study. And, you know, with pancreatic cancer or with pancreatic tissues, the tissue degrades really, really fast because of all the enzymes involved in the pancreas. and so. We wanted to figure out, well, how can we help people get great quality pancreatic tissues? And so we started actually injecting uh, the pancreatic tissue whenever, you know, whenever it would come down for the PA to, you know, to give us fresh tissue, we would inject it with RNA later to kind of like preserved a lot preserve, you know, the fresh tissue so that it wouldn't have enzymatic degradation. So although I wasn't, you know, directly doing cancer research, obviously, I, you know, I feel like my methods and changing some of the ways that we uh, procure fresh tissue really fostered a lot of uh, different research projects in, in a positive way. That was an interesting thing you said that you actually went to the researchers and asked them what they needed and then tried to procure that for them, which seems kind of the reverse of the way it's normally done. It is the reverse of how it's normally done, but it works so much better Mm -hmm. um, because whenever, you know, whenever you have all this stuff in the bank and you query it and you're trying to make something work for a researcher that doesn't really work for them. And I mean, they can use it, you know, we would still give them what we had, but then we would have these prospective collections going on for them to really give them what they want. And I really think that that's the way that biobanking, like that's the direction that biobanking is going in now, um, especially now that I work outside of academia now, uh, now I work in a private biobank and that's basically all we do. Um, we, we do collections based on client needs. You talked about how when you were working in research and you realized that you know, being a kind of a bench researcher wasn't really for you. And then getting into biobanking, like how long did it take before you went, oh yeah, this is, I, I love this. This is what I want to do. So it's funny you ask that whenever I showed up to Tulane, you know, as like, you know, I was out of college, it took me like three months to find a job out of college. Like, I don't know why it's so difficult, you know, to, you know, one, no one wants to hire a new college grad, but then it's like, well, how do you get a job? Um, you know, I showed up to the interview and they started explaining to me this, this field of biobanking and, you know, they're like, well, you'll have patient experience because you'll consent patients and then you'll be in the OR because we need you to go into the OR to get the tissue. And then you'll have, you know, pathology experience because you need to, you know, go and follow the tissue and get tumor and normal. And then, you know, you'll have data experience because you need to put all the data in. And I was like, oh, wow. So I actually I actually like stalked them to basically give me this job because I wanted it so bad. Um, and I just fell in love with it. Like I, I really almost never wanted to leave. And so it just so happened that my manager 
her husband got into his residency and I ended up taking her managerial position. And I ended up staying in the biobanking field for almost eight years before I ended up coming to PA school. So I really loved it. I would have, I, I could stay in biobanking forever, but um, I really also wanted to um, continue my education and join like a higher education master's program. And it just, it worked out so well that Tulane opened a PA program. Right. You know, I was thinking back when I, when I got out of college, which was a long time before you did, but <laughs> if there, if I had found a position, you know, in, in biobanking, like you're talking about, yeah, that's, that would have been at the time, everything that I was interested in. And, yeah. And I, w- I would have, like you said, I would have stalked them too until I got <laughs> that position. That's- yeah. It's, it's a very unique field and I never realized it until I got out of it. And it's funny because it goes really hand in hand with pathologist assistants. Yeah. Um, you know, we learn about it a lot in the program and it's, it's a small little niche. Like there's not a lot of people that do this. Yeah, that's very true. And it's becoming, I think, I think it's going to get bigger. It'll be kind of niche, but it'll it'll be a, a maybe not small, maybe sort of a medium niche. I think in the future. Yeah, and I'm hoping that pathologist assistants will play like a much larger role in biobanking. That's my that's my hope here. Yeah, yeah, me too. So now you mentioned that you got into kind of a private uh, biobank, uh, and which was Audubon Bioscience. Yeah. Yeah. So while I was in academia, I actually met, uh, well, who's now the founder and the CEO of the company. He was actually doing his fellowship at LSU at the time. And so we, we met at that point and then we met again, you know, five, five, five years later when I was at in PA school. So, you know, when he realized that I wasn't, you know, working in academia anymore, you know, they kind of offered me this consulting position um, because of my experience, obviously, with biobanking for so long. And so at the time, you know, being in PA school, I was like, I don't know, I really don't have time for that. Um, but, you know, I, I tried it out and said, you know, I, I can help as I can and we'll see where it goes. And it really just took off. Like, I never expected this to happen to me while I was in PA school. It wasn't like I wasn't like looking for a job or I wasn't trying to do anything crazy while I was um, in a PA program, but it worked out so well for me. And, Biobanking for me just comes so naturally that it's like, I mean, I could do this in my sleep. I just, you know, like whenever you really love something that you do, it's just, it's like you never work a day in your life. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I probably said it wrong, but um, it it doesn't take any extra effort for me. And that's why I know that it's like something that it's meant for me to do. I, you know, it started with the consulting thing. And then towards the end of last year, we decided to open a lab in New Orleans. I mean, the company has multiple labs and clinics um, outside of the U.S. because it is an international biobanking company. So we have sites in Europe and Asia and Africa. We're putting uh, some Asian sites on uh, Japan and China. But uh, our U.S. operations were they were like, eh. So um, since I've been starting up the operations here, we have signed on many clinics, many biorepositories and hospitals to have collections in the U.S. And so it's been crazy. The lab here serves as a quality control site also for all of the samples that are being procured outside of the country that come through here. So um, myself and um, the few employees that I've hired in the past few months um, you know, we look through all the samples, all the data before we send them to the clients here um, in the U.S. And so it's just been it's been really surreal, um, but I love it and it just keeps growing. So I'm happy to see where this goes. 
Okay, so this is sort of uh, like you talked about your your uh, biobanking in academia. This, this is kind of that on a larger scale because you're collecting you're are you collecting tissues from multiple different places across the country, and then yeah, to, and then you're sending them out to whatever researcher needs them again across the country. Is that am I interpreting that right? Yeah, it's on a crazy larger scale. So it's definitely wasn't something that I was super familiar with because before when I was in academia, I was, you know, just collecting my little samples from the few local hospitals around here and only giving them to the researchers that were within our consortium. So it was it was a tight knit family and I knew all the researchers on a personal level. I could go walk in their lab and say, like, what do you need? You know, Um, whereas now this is just this is a crazy global scale and a lot of the clients that we have now are not only, you know, academia clients, but they're people who uh, large and small biotech companies, pharmaceutical companies, um, companies that are, you know, creating biomarker tests or, you know, trying to have different like sequencing technology. So it's a lot it's a lot larger scale than just academic research, um, which I wasn't familiar with, but I'm very, very interested in because it's great. I mean, to me, I always think about it this way. Whenever I would consent patients, because I consented every patient that came through the biobank, I didn't let anybody else do it. It was just like my baby. You know, like 95% of patients say yes. They're happy to help. They want their tissue or their blood to go somewhere that can be useful. You know, why let it go to waste? And Mm -hmm. so I feel like we have the ability, both as pathologist assistants and and the pathology team, if the patients are being consented and the surgeons are on board and the clinicians are on board, we should be fostering these collaborations in order to, you know, we're, we're trying to help everybody here, right? That is the main goal. Right, right. And I think a, a, a company like Audubon, I mean, that helps to kind of expand or facilitate a, a larger body of research because there's more availability of these samples. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm super excited about it. And, um, yeah. Like you said, you're the U S country manager for Autobahn. Yeah, I know it's a big role. It's a really big title. Um, and so right now I'm overseeing all of our, um, our U S uh, colleagues that we've hired in the U S. So we have uh, different client managers who, communicate with the clients on their needs. So, you know, we have applications that come into us that are very specific. They want samples collected in a specific tube or they want a specific data set or, or you know, whatever. And then we have uh, clinical coordinators who will then reach out to either biobanks or physicians that we directly partner with. And they will say, you know, hey, we have this research study. It needs to be collected this way. Can you help kind of thing? And then on on my end, which is more of the laboratory end, we have myself and a few other people who are making collection kits. Um, we do all the quality on it. We check all the data um, and then we send all the samples out. So for me, you know, I don't really need to communicate with clients uh, much, but I do have a direct role in physically looking at the samples and making sure the quality is good and having a say so in that. And then, you know, on top of like all the IRB applications that we have to do for each one of these sites. Um, we have various SOPs that we have to draw up. And I mean, you know, all of that. So that's kind of like where my role is. But again, as a full-time PA student, <laughs> I have to really delegate a lot of this, you know, until I finish the program. So I'm very, very busy, but I still have a hand in overseeing everything. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask you that. How are you managing to do all that while being in PA school? That sounds like that would get overwhelming at times. It's, it is very overwhelming, but like I said, 
because it's so second nature for me to do it, I feel like it's not, if anything, the more overwhelming thing is probably PA school. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I can understand that. Okay. <laughs> this is the People with Pathology podcast with our guest, Alexandra Giardina. We'll be right back. LabVine enables improved healthcare by helping labs future-proof, transform careers, and build professional relationships. They do this with tools, solutions, and resources curated from internationally recognized sources. I want to tell you about several new features on LabVine right now. One of them is the Lab Relevance Compass from Jeremy Schubert, who you might remember from episode 65 of this podcast. There's also a webinar that Jeremy did that goes into more detail about the Lab Relevance Compass, which you can find on VineStream. You can also find a couple new courses on communication skills from 2020 Science, and there are several new content experts as part of the ConfLab as well. You can check out LabVine by following the link in the show notes, and you can sign up absolutely free. And while you're there, you can also listen to the People of Pathology podcast right there on my VineStream channel. Dress uh, Med has been designing and manufacturing high-quality scrubs since 1980. The prices are affordable, the shipping is very fast, and the scrubs have lots of pockets, which I really like. I actually have several sets of these myself. So check out Dress uh, Med by using the link in the show notes. You can sign up for their loyalty program for free and earn special offers and discounts. Now back to Alexandra Giardina on the People of Pathology podcast. So now you are, you already mentioned how you when you even started in in biobanking, there were PAs there. And that's kind of how you discovered the field. Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny because our first PA student that we had and that I ever had an experience with was, um, was Sarah, who, as you know, started the Tulane PA program. Oh, wow. That's, that's interesting. (laughs) What a coincidence. Yeah, I know. So what happened was, you know, I was biobanking like I always did. And just one day I came into the gross room like I always do. And I always had to ask a pathology resident to give me tissue for biobanking. And then there was like this girl and I was like, oh, she's really good. Like she knows what she's doing. Like, where do we get this resident from? And then she introduces herself and she's like, I'm a PA student. And like I said, I was I never even knew pathologist assistant existed at the time. I only knew about physician assistant. And I was like, oh, I didn't know physician assistants did this. And she's like, I'm not a physician assistant. I'm a pathologist assistant. I'm like, what's that? So then I started researching it and I was like, what is this field? So I met Sarah. She was, um, you know, our student for the year because Tulane was her clinical site. And her and I always joked back and forth. She was like, I'm going to start a program here because we had no programs. There's no pathologist assistant programs in the South at the time. Right. And I was like, yeah, okay. Um, cool. You know, like everybody always says they want to do something, but if you know, Sarah, you know, if she says she's going to do something, she's going to do it. And, um, the program has been an absolute success. I'm so honored to be a part of it. Um, it's, it's, it's an amazing program. Yeah, I was gonna I was going to say the exact same thing about Sarah. You were you're absolutely correct. <laughs> yeah. You know, like when you see like some young student say that they're gonna start a program, you're like, okay. Um, but no, she did. So I, I have no words. You know, one one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you uh and you know, kind of get go through the biobanking thing and, and the PA program aspect is it it seems like to me that when it comes to the tissue procurement for biobanking, that if anybody is qualified, 
specifically for that, it would be a pathologist assistant. Do you agree with that? I absolutely agree. I think about this like on a, like 20 times a day because I just see such a role for PAs to be the person that is coordinating all of this. I mean, I know like that, that sounds really ambitious because believe me, I see the gross room and I see the amount of specimens there. And for a PA, all you're thinking about is, oh, I have all this stuff to gross, you know, like I don't have time to coordinate research studies. I don't have time to consent patients. I don't have, you know, but if we build that out to be a part of the expected job duties and we train PAs to kind of you know, of this to be expected, I, I think you almost departments could just could have more PAs because they're they're really being almost like clinical research coordinators at the same time. And I think I, I don't remember what biobank I reached out to back whenever I was in academia, but I think it was somewhere on the uh, on the West Coast. I reached out to a biobank and whenever like the girl answered the phone, she told me she was a she was a pathologist assistant. And I was like, oh, you manage the biobank, but you're a pathologist assistant. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. <laughs> so it was like great to hear that there there are people that exist that do that, that are biobank managers or like they're coordinating the all the biobank operations. Um, and they're also pathologist assistants. And something else you said earlier about consenting patients. So actually having uh, for a pathologist assistant to actually have patient contact, I think that's very important as well. I think it's so cool because a lot of people want, you know, that the whole reason they want to go into medicine is because they want to like have patient interaction. And some people might not come into this field because they're like, oh, I'm going to be stuck in the gross room all day. Uh, you know, I'm never going to see a patient. And I feel like if there were institutions that had that opportunity where you do actually go and consent patients and you you do have that it's a, it's just different. And I think, I think it's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, of course, to be fair, a, a lot of people, I, you know, I myself included early on, I think I kind of chose this field because I didn't really want to have patient interaction that much, but it, it seems like we need to be, need a little bit of it because like we said earlier, the public doesn't know about our field and that might be part of the reason. Yeah. I mean, people, my own family still doesn't understand this field. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. you, I'm like, what, why do I have to explain this every time? And it's just like, it's heartbreaking, you know, whenever I get in the elevator or wherever and people are like, oh, are you in medical school? And then I'm like, no, I'm in pathologist assistant school. And they're like, what's pathology? And I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> wow. You know, I know I, I get, I don't know if it's a Louisiana thing, but I get that question a lot that just no one, act, no one even knows what pathology is. And it's just like heartbreaking. Yeah, that's, it's bad enough that they don't know the specific position, but the, the field in general, that's, yeah, that's really bad. We have a lot of work to do in the South. So, and I know with our program being here now, I have like no doubts that we're just going to make waves on that. I'm sure, <laughs> especially, especially with, with, you know, Sarah leading, leading the way. Absolutely. Actually, you know, and that's one thing that's really important to me too. Like I was saying about the high schools and stuff, I actually did go to my, um, to my all girl, um, high school and I talked to them last year about the field and the girls were so excited. Um, I really? did, uh, yeah, I did a little PowerPoint for them and, um, you know, of course they never heard about the field. Right. And I mean, so many of them came up to me after and they were like super excited. So like, I wish I could do that more and I plan to, um, and I wish I could go to LSU since, you know, whenever I was there, no one told me about this field. So it's something, it's another thing like I have on my list. 
Yeah, those things are important. I think we, we, like you said, we need to do more of that kind of stuff. Yeah. I was looking at your your bio on the Autobahn website, mm-hmm. and and something struck me. It said that you your intent is to foster collaborations between researchers, surgeons, and pathologists. And I wonder if you could talk about that. Can you kind of elaborate what what you mean by that? Yeah, it sounds like a super vague statement, but it's like one of the most important things to me. Um, and I, I just find that like these three groups of people don't really communicate at all. I mean, like I feel like pathologists communicate with the surgeons pretty much like at frozen section and just to like give a diagnosis. And other than that, mm-hmm. like, there's nothing there. And then researchers are just like totally like off in their own in their own thing. And again, like I was saying before, the problem with that is that you're just missing a lot of opportunities here for physicians to pick out patients that are great for certain research studies and then pathology to be involved. Because if we don't know that it's going for a research study, how are we going to put the tissue aside or, you know, take the samples needed or or whatnot? So I feel like if these three people come together, which is kind of what I had going on back in academia, um, it was, it was, because it was such a small, you know, little hospital site and community, we were able to do this really well. But I feel like a lot of larger hospital systems, they're just so big that they're not able to do this. For instance, you know, you might have a hospital site that has four to five colectomies going a week. And then you have a lab right across the street that's doing colon cancer research. And they can be using that tissue. And instead, no one knows that this researcher is right across the street doing this. The surgeon has no idea that they could be consenting patients for this. Like I I had instances where people didn't even know our biobank existed. So it's really just like you got to get out there. You got to communicate. You got to kind of advocate for yourself. And you kind of like have to bring these these three departments together. Right. Yeah. No, that's a really good point because once the you know for the surgeon once they're done with the surgery they don't know what happens after that or they're not really too concerned about it i guess and so that yeah you make a good point there that's interesting i um i'll tell a story okay i had so we have a um we have a scientific conference that goes once a year over you know whenever i was in academia and we had this researcher that spoke on this very interesting case of desmoplastic small round blue cell tumor. It's a mouthful, but it's a really kind of rare tumor. It affects, you know, younger, like teenage boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I listened to his whole talk about it. His whole research, his whole life was dedicated to this tumor, but he had never had any, you know, patient samples from it, you know, could never find, you know, anything about it. And in the back of my mind, all I can think of, okay, Alex, there was that one patient five years ago that had this cancer. It's in the bank. <laughs> like, I'm just, the, I'm like, I know the code. Like, I know what their de-identified code is. And so I go up to him after and I'm like, we have one patient in the bank with this. And he's like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And it's just sad because his lab was literally across from my biobank for the past five years. And he's been doing research on this cancer this whole time. And the whole time I had one, this one patient in the bank, which ended up like making a huge publication out of it. We had a case report come out of it. He collaborated with, I can't remember what university about it. And um, the patient ended up coming back with, like more metastatic cancer a few years later. And so I contacted him again and I was like, the patient's back, you know, do you want fresh tissue this time? And he was like, absolutely. And so, you know, we, we did it again and it's just things like that, you know, without 
me hearing his talk or without me kind of like knowing that this was in the bank, like that would have just never happened. Right. And so just small things like that, I think make a big difference. So we we talked about earlier uh, that you're actually currently in the uh, PA program at Tulane. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So I want to talk about that a little bit. So you get into the program right away. Did you know this was the right thing for you or were you a little surprised by certain things or how did it go for you at the beginning? So at the beginning, um, that first semester are, you know, it's not really PA specific classes. So it's really just like anatomy, physiology, embryo, histo. And it's really great because, you know, I'm one of the older, like oldest people, I guess, in our cohort because I graduated from college like 10 years ago. So it was so nice for me to like go back to college, you know, I was like, oh, this is gonna be so great. And it was so nice to just be able to sit in classes and just just soak up all the information. Like it was it was amazing. I I loved every minute of it. But then COVID happened. Right. (laughs) So, you know, we were like three months into classes. And then we had to basically just like stop everything and pretty much just go home. Um, And that was really nerve wracking for being like a first, we're we're the first class of this program. You know, it was like, are we going to be able to graduate? Like, can we come back? Are we going to have to like just start over? But I will say like our director and everybody involved in the program made it just I don't, I don't know how they put it together for us to like continue our courses and to be able to come back on campus. Since there was only nine of us in the class, we were able to come back and come back to our cadaver and finish what we needed to finish for like that, that one semester that really got messed up. But I mean, the amount of material that we go through and like the preparation that our director and everybody has for us for this program is just amazing. I mean, we have so many resources. I have learned so much. I have no doubt in my mind that this program is just prepares you so well to be a PA. (laughs) When I showed up to clinicals on day one, I was like, I'm ready to gross a laryngectomy. (laughs) You know, yeah, like we, we, I feel like we are just so prepared. I want, I want to talk about the clinical part, but first I, I thought of something like, the things that you learned in PA school, were you able to kind of take that back to, to the biobank and sort of apply some of it there? Absolutely. And I mean, we, you know, whenever we were going over some of our stuff and, and surgical pathology techniques, we kind of covered biobanking and, you know, I, I kind of stood up and, you know, gave my two cents on there, but it's really important for PA programs to also, I won't say warn PAs, but to, (laughs) educate PAs about how they play a pivotal role and how, you know, in clinical year, they probably will have people come up to them to get biobank tissue. And they shouldn't just think of it as like, oh, I need to stop what I'm doing to give this tissue. Like there's a big, there's a lot going on behind that. And like their role of picking out quality tumor and normal sections is, is a really a big deal. Yeah. Okay. All right. So then back, back to the to the clinicals. Now you mentioned the COVID, how that kind of uh, changed things a little bit as far as the in-class learning. How did that affect the clinicals? Because I know there was some, some concern about where, would PA students be able to be in clinicals and actually on site, you know, doing doing the work that they need to, needed to do. Would, were, were there any problems with that? Yeah. So I think because our clinical year actually started in January, it worked out better for us. 
I'm, and this is just me like assuming, but I would think for other programs where their clinicals started like mid year in 2020, Mm -hmm. that probably messed them up a lot more. But since we're on a January to January schedule, by the time we started clinicals this January, I mean, things were kind of calming down with COVID. I mean, we had, I think we had one student that wasn't able to go to their rotation right at the start of January. So they stayed in New Orleans like an extra month until they could go off to that state. Um, cause that particular state was still having like really high COVID cases, but oh, I see. Um, okay. yeah, so they like stuck behind and did like their a rotation in uh, New Orleans before they went off. But no, it's been great. I mean, the clinical aspect, I felt, I feel super prepared for what I'm doing in comparison with just talking with others. I feel like in our program, we almost have like a mini clinical session. So while we were in the academic year, we would have days where we would go into the gross room and we would, you know, practice on or not practice, but we, you know, we would grow small biopsies and appendix and gallbladders and stuff so that we would get familiar with how to dictate and how to read the requisition form and what to say. And, you know, you know, just on small benign cases so that whenever we got to clinicals, that was just a piece of cake. And, you know, we didn't even have to think about that. Oh, that's interesting. So you, you got into clinicals already knowing it kind of how how the how the job worked and what you were expected to do. Yeah, okay. yeah. We just we showed up like already prepared. Okay, okay. You mentioned that you know you you talked in some high schools and and things and and some of the students were really interested in pathologist assistant career. So if you've got one of these students and they're like you know I'm going to apply this is what I want to do what what advice would you have for them like how would how should they prepare for that. Sure. I mean, if they're still in high school, I think it might be difficult to shadow. I don't know if they'll let high schoolers shadow a PA in a hospital. I feel like you like need to be in college to shadow. So, I mean, mm-hmm. the first step would obviously, you know, for them to, you know, get into college, you know, pick a degree field that they feel comfortable with. If You know, it, it doesn't, I feel like a lot of people think like, if I'm going into science, I have to pick a science major which is so not true. And, right. you know, you just need the prerequisites. I mean, we have a girl in our program that um, was like an anthropology major and she took the prerequisites to the program and she's amazing. You know, you don't need to have a biology or chemistry or, or whatever background. And so, you know, my, my advice to all high schoolers is that pick a degree that you love But you also, if you want to come into this field, study up what the prerequisites are for this program, because you'll spend a lot of time going to college and, you know, not taking the prerequisites. And then you graduate college and then you have to go back to some community college to to get anatomy and physiology or to get medical terminology or, or whatever you need for the program. So it's important to, like, get on the program website and make sure that you are taking what you need while you're at college. Okay. And you mentioned the shadowing thing. You think that's important to do as well? I definitely. Yeah. And I mean, that's probably one of the number one things that we tell people is to like for this program is to make sure like, you know what you're getting into. I mean, like this is obviously not a glorious field. <laughs> right. um, it's You know, it's pretty dirty. So and it's you know, it's not it's not glamorous. So I think it's important to at least spend like a week, you know, shadowing um, a pathologist assistant and seeing you know, it's a lot of standing. It's a lot of it's a lot of heavy lifting on the body. It can be very tiresome um, if you're in like a high volume place. And so, you know, I think it's important to to witness that and, and to make sure it's like right for you. 
Yeah, definitely. And I've uh, other people I've talked with, not just for a pathologist assistant, but other lab fields, they, you know, that when they were able to shadow and they're actually getting into the lab, and then that was the moment where they were either hooked or, you know, knew that this wasn't right. But yeah, that's an important thing. And we, we definitely need to do more of that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The last thing I wanted to talk about there, uh, back to your 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 bio on, on the Audubon website. And there's a quote, which I really like. It says, you're never too successful to better yourself or diversify your skill set. <laughs> and yeah. and I, feel, I feel like you've kind of followed your own advice uh, throughout your, your career so far. So why, why do you think that's important to diversify your skill set like that? You know, I feel like seeing people like being a manager and like, being over people, I've found that, that sometimes there are people that are just like, you know, I'm, I don't want to do this or this isn't in my job duty, you know, like I, this isn't part of my job kind of thing. And it's like, you really shouldn't like look at the world like that. You know, it really should be, I want to learn more. I want to yeah. do more, you know, what more, it's not that you need to take on more work, but it's, it's nice to be inquisitive about other things. And so for me, I'm constantly trying to find more ways that I can, you know, just, just expand more. Like, I just want to know more. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, um, and I think that's great for everybody, not only in your, in your career life, but your personal life, you know, why not diversify, diversify yourself and, and kind of expand and grow. So yeah, it's important to me. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, when you've developed new skills, sometimes you can combine them together and, develop, you know, you come up with a new opportunity for yourself, kind of like you did with, with the biobanking combined with, with being a PA. Well, yeah. And I mean, for me, yeah, that's kind of like what I feel like this has been like a 10 year in the making thing for me because I love biobanking. Um, whenever I discovered with a, what a pathologist assistant was, I was like, oh, I love that too. But I could never, I personally could never leave the state of Louisiana because, you know, like I have a family here and I, you know, I'm a mom and I can't just like move around. And so I loved it, but then I could never apply to any of the schools that were around the country until now. So now I have like both of these things that I love so, so much. And it just works out that they go so hand in hand. So I just can't wait to see like how I can do them together. It sounds like you've set yourself up perfectly for, for that opportunity. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Alexandra, this has been uh, really interesting. I'm glad we had a chance to, to talk today. So thank you very much for being here. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. And it was, it was an honor to be on here today. Great big thanks to Alexandra Giardina. I've got a preview for you of the next episode, which features the return of Dr. Barbara Jean Magnani, and we talk about her new book, The Power of Poison, and then I'll be back with some final comments about this episode. You know, because reading The Queen of All Poisons, it does seem like a complete story, and the, the ending, you know, it seems like an, like an ending, although, as we'll see, you are able to continue the story at actually very well. Once you decided you were going to go with the sequel, how, how did you go about deciding where you were going to go with the story? Well, I, I think, you know, when you get to the end of uh, The Queen of All Poisons, there's that, again, open question. I don't want to give it away for anyone who hasn't read it, but, you know, there's a whole right, of course. plot. There's two plots. There's sort of the mission-driven, uh, where there's this mass poisoning that Lily is involved in. And then, of course, there is 
the whole subplot of her daughter and what's happened to her daughter and what she thinks has happened to her daughter. And so it was a natural uh, ending for me to be able to continue that story in the next book. And also, you know, just figuring out uh, there were some open-ended things from uh, the first book, other things in the plot where right. I could naturally just bring it over. So it made it easy for me to do that. And I just had to come up with a new mission while I was finishing up the old story. So, you know, it was good. <laughs> it was fun. You can hear more from Dr. Magnani in the next episode. We talk all about the power of poison, as well as her involvement with the CAP Foundation's C-Test and Treat program. So throughout this episode, we mentioned Sarah a few times, and that is, of course, Sarah Garner, who is a pathologist assistant. She's the program director at the Tulane University Pathologist Assistant Program. And she was also a guest on this podcast way back in episode six. Sarah told me that some of her current and even incoming students actually listen to this podcast, and some of them have said that they learned a lot about the pathology field just from listening to the show. I really enjoy hearing stories like this, and it makes me really happy to know that they're out there listening. So hello to all of you, and thanks for being fans of the show. I told Sarah that if people like Alexandra are the future of our field, then our future is in very good hands. As always, I'll have links in the show notes to everything we talked about today. And if you'd like to learn more about biobanking, you can listen to Heidi Wagner, another pathologist assistant, on episode 17. We talk about her work in biobanking, and we get into some of the ethical considerations as well. You can follow this show on Twitter, at People of Path, or connect with me on LinkedIn. Or you can just go to peopleofpathology.com, and you can find the links to Twitter and LinkedIn right there, and also listen to all of the episodes right on the website. Thank you for continuing to share the show with others, and together, let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. This show is a member of Health Podcast Network, which connects listeners with conversations and stories about health, care, and well-being, and you can find a link in the show notes to Health Podcast Network if you'd like to check out some of their other interesting podcasts. Thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you next time on the People of Pathology podcast.